sometimes I, I completely <laughs> stop listening to David and I chat with the producer during recording the podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to It's Not TV. It's a podcast. I'm Nicole, and along with me is David. Hello, hello. This is the podcast where we celebrate HBO's prestige programming with subpar commentary. Each episode, we'll look into a show from HBO's past and tell you if it's worth your watch. What are we doing today, David? Today, Nicole, we are talking about Chernobyl, which is my favorite musical. Uh, We're talking Chernobyl today. We don't talk about Chernobyl. No, no, no. Because the Soviet Union would hunt us down and kill us. Because that's what they do, uh, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, So for those that don't know, the TV series Chernobyl is based on the true story of the global energy disaster that was caused by a flawed Soviet reactor design. And also was operated by inadequately trained personnel at Chernobyl, a nuclear plant in Ukraine, which was at the time uh, part of the USSR. And uh, it poisoned and killed life within about an 18-mile radius of the explosion. So it's a feel-good feel good miniseries, yeah? Nicole, did, did you watch this when it came out? You know, back in my old life, I watched things live. Oh, and this was one of them. I watched it as it aired, and it was wonderful. Okay. I binged it for the pod. And you hate us all. Kind of hated you for it. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and we'll talk about why. But yeah, I kind of I kind of got put through the ringer the last week or so for this. So Chernobyl was created by Craig Mazin. Craig Mazin got his start as a marketing campaign writer for Disney, and then he broke into screenwriting with some funny movies, actually. Uh, Scream 3 and 4. He co-wrote The Hangover Part 2 and 3, which, in my opinion, were the lesser of The Hangovers. Nicole, (laughs) were you big on The Hangover series? I was just thinking that he got the worst parts of Scream and The Hangover. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I don't think I've even seen Scream 4. I didn't even know there were a 3 and 4 Scream. In fact, the new Scream that just came out is called Scream, if that's not confusing for anyone. It's Scream 5. I do not like (laughs) new movies coming out with the same name as an old movie. Halloween did this. Scream did this. Where they just go, it's the same name, but now on IMDb, it has like brackets and a year. Do not like. Name it something different. Or or just say like, new Scream. Or... (laughs) Like new Coke. Scream again. (laughs) (laughs) i like scream again i want to watch i would watch scream again scream but now the actors are older craig mazin's actually he wrote the shitty part of snow white where he did snow white and the huntsman this is like constipated snow white right yes she constantly just looks pained like she's pushing on a big turd i'm snow white and i'm just so conflicted (laughs) Charlize was a stunning queen, though. Yes. So Charlize Theron played the queen. Kristen Stewart was uh, Snow White. And Chris Hemsworth was the huntsman. Ian McShane from HBO's Deadwood even played one of the dwarves. Is this one of the cases where they, like, 
used Ian McShane for all of the dwarfs and just like shrunk them down. Oh wait, no, no. that was Willy Wonka. That, that would have been great Wonka. though. That would have been so much better. I think he was like grumpy or murdery or assholey. One of the ones. I don't know which the dwarves are. Do you know the, all the dwarves? Uh, happy. I'm counting. Doc, dopey, sleepy, sneezy. Two more. Grumpy. One more. Gr- sticky. <laughs> sticky. <laughs> bashful, bashful. Bashful. Yeah. That's the one I missed. The weirdest thing is, is as bad as the Huntsman movie was, they made a sequel, and that added Emily Blunt and Jessica Chastain. It's hard to make a bad movie when you've got Kristen Stewart, Chris Hemsworth, Charlize Theron, Emily Blunt, and Jessica Chastain. But uh, the Huntsman's Winter War found a way. So Mason was done with comedy, though. He wanted to move on. In an interview with Men's Health, Mason said, I feel like I'd kind of been to the top of the comedy mountain. I started reading about Chernobyl, and it became something that I had this connection to. It was a story that I felt I needed to tell, and it was a story I knew how to tell. So he pitched the idea to HBO in 2016. He was told to create Show Bible. Yeah, Show Bible. So a Show Bible is something that all TV shows have, and it is a list of all of the characters and key plot points and facts and figures, because with a TV show... Usually you'll have multiple writers and multiple directors. That's not always the case, especially in prestige TV. But usually you'll have a bunch of different writers in the writer's room or separately. So the show Bible is the thing that everyone can go to and go like, oh, did we ever say what Nicole's favorite color was? Oh, did we ever say that Nicole's ex-boyfriend was a a skier or a comedian? Wakeboarder, David. A a wakeboarder? Yes. I don't know what that is. I honestly, is that not a surfer? No. Okay. I, it sounds weird. It sounds like you're half-assing surfing. I'm only going to board the waves, man. Well, I mean, there's not always waves, so you have to make them with the boat. So that does a waveboarder make his own waves? The boat makes the waves. So they follow a boat? A wake. Yes, it's the boat wake. Oh, a wakeboarder. So he like follows behind a boat. Correct. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I think it's cheating. It feels like cheating. Cheating on the ocean. Yes, the ocean should be offended. It makes its own waves. <laughs> and here you are out at low tide with your own little boat. Man-made surfing. Yes. So when when the writers are, are writing on the show, they will refer to the uh, show Bible. Oftentimes, when stars leave the show, that will be one of the keepsakes they have. Uh, if you ever listen to the podcast, The Office Ladies, which features two of the actresses from the show, The Office, they often reference their show Bibles, which they kept. And so whenever they're stuck on a plot line where they don't quite remember, they will go to the show Bible and look something up. If you ignore the show Bible, that's when you can end up with continuity errors. And that has happened in times. Uh, A key example that I just mentioned on The Office, where the character Andy mentions his stepmom in early seasons, and in later seasons, you see that his parents are still together and were never divorced. That's an example where somebody probably didn't A, check the show Bible, or B, put that note that Andy mentioned that he had an, uh, a stepmom. Mm, no, I mean, maybe, but I'm just going to go ahead and say that Ed Helms improved the stepmom thing, and it was never official. Ed Helms and The Hangover actually fucked up The Office a lot, because they met Ed Helms, the boss of The Office, towards the end of the seasons, and then The Hangover required him to go film, so they kept having to come up with flimsy excuses to write his character out of the show. And many people are pissed off at The Hangover for ruining Ed Helms' character, Andy, on The Office. Well, only be pissed off at the last two. Don't be pissed off at the first one. The first one is probably the only reason why the guy is in The Office. 
That might be true. I think he was already in the office, maybe, because he had been. Oh, really? Yeah, I think he had been back on that uh, Comedy Central news show prior to that. Hmm. But yeah, but that's what a show Bible is. A show Bible is what you're supposed to keep an eye on. So it sounds like before Craig Mason got the show approved, he had to sort of put that together to show HBO like this is the approach I'm taking. In the process of writing the show, Mason was meticulous about staying true to the actual story of the disaster and the people who lived through it. Quote, I spoke with people who had lived there and who were there at the time and who could read the scripts and say, great except nobody would say that. Mm. Mason also worked with production and costume designers to make sure every detail, from buildings to shoelaces, were accurate to Soviet life in 1986. Quote, That was our thing, to show respect to the people that went through Chernobyl by getting the details of their life right. It was a question of respect for us. Yeah, and I think they nailed it. And we'll talk about this when we get a little bit later into the accuracy of the show. So often when I think of shows in the 80s, I think of American culture in the 80s. And it's like, oh, where are the the neon lights and the zigzags? And I think like Saved by the Bell stuff and like show me Madonna and MTV. It's easy for me to see a show and then tell me it's the 80s because there's these tropes I expect. But when it's a European show in the 80s, I didn't quite know what that means. Yeah, it's all leftover 70s wallpaper. Yeah, (laughs) it really is. Made into dresses. Good old impoverished Soviet Union. So part of Craig Mason's deal was he also worked with HBO to create a podcast for the series where he walked through each episode Mm -hmm. with other writers from the show. They discussed themes, the show's production, heavily discussed how they adapted the story from real life events and meticulously went through the changes they made and why. Mason also helps produce and host podcasts for other HBO shows since Chernobyl's release including the Watchmen podcast. And now Mason is actually working on adapting uh, The Last of Us for HBO. And The Last of Us is a post-apocalyptic video game. So it's very in line with what he did for Chernobyl here. Uh, Nicole, we're going to talk about Watchmen. We fucking loved Watchmen. Yeah? Yes, David. We loved Watchmen. Why are you saying it all creepy like that? I don't know. <laughs> freaking me out, man. Because you said it kind of like you were Canadian. We liked Watchmen, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, yes. <laughs> so let's talk about that for a second. Just to be of note, in Chernobyl, the accents are interesting because they don't speak in fake Russian accents. Uh, Craig Mazin said that when they started doing that in rehearsals, he said it came off very cheesy. No. So what he asked all the Europeans he hired to do was just talk in your natural accent. Yep. So this way it gave it kind of a European vibe, Yep. which made sense because it took place in the Ukraine. With folks from Belarus, which with folks from Russia. So by having a sort of blended European-y accent, he kind of was able to not make a big deal about it. Yep. So my fake Canadian accent kind of fits right in here. But part of those accents are are some of the reason that the show was so popular. It was critically acclaimed. It got 19 Emmy nominations. Mason and the team did make changes to the story. They actually call it out in the show. One of the changes they made, which is where they took a group of scientists and made it into a singular person to sort of show all the work that those scientists did, which I thought was was really well done. Not everyone loved the show, though. The Communist Party of Russia actually filed a lawsuit against the makers of Chernobyl, calling the show disgusting. And other Russian media outlets also bitched. They said the show was a caricature and that the only thing missing are the bears and the accordions. Which, which, Nicole, frankly... I could have used some fucking bears and accordions because this was a bummer. <laughs> well, if they hadn't hired half of all the dogs and cats, oh. then maybe they could have afforded the bears. 
We're going to talk about that. Not happy about that. Other folks, though, in, in related to Chernobyl did enjoy the show and, and had good things to say. Uh, the Russian culture minister, for example, uh, his father was one of the folks who helped clean up Chernobyl. He said that the show was masterfully made and filmed with great respect for ordinary people. The deputy director of the Ukrainian National Chernobyl Museum uh, appreciated the show, trying its best to be accurate. And they were actually going to create a special tour based on the HBO series. So the, the Kyiv Post, uh, Kyiv is the, the capital of Ukraine, uh, the Kyiv Post noted that Ukrainians appreciated HBO for praising the heroism and self-sacrifice of ordinary people. A one film critic, in fact, said, there are no good or bad characters. Everyone loses. Everyone is terrified and lies. Everyone is human. Army generals, state officials, miners, liquidators, and they all commit acts of heroism. Young Belarusians even appreciated the series. According to Belarusian Nobel laureate Svetlana Alexievich, who actually wrote the book upon which the series is based. Older Belarusians, however, were too busy uh, to watch HBO as they're currently busy aiding and abetting an illegal Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Aww. So, womp womp. If yeah. this podcast wasn't as much of a bummer as it already was. Yep, we got to talk about that. Before we get into the plot summary, which most of you know what it's about, we're headed here. Let's talk about the stellar fucking cast that they assembled here, uh, starting with our main man, Jared Harris. Jared, I'm pretty sure he was not able or left the expanse because of Chernobyl. Yes, he was busy man. He is a busy man. If his IMDb is extensive and he's especially busy lately, but I notably he does a very good diseased dying man playing <laughs> King George in The Crown. He was also sick in Oh in the Terror and he is sick in Chernobyl. He does the, just a great blood spit up. Oh, that's a talent, really. I'm trying to think. He was also he also played Moriarty in uh, one of the Sherlock Holmes movies, and I'm trying to remember if he oh, uh, he yeah. spit up at all. The guy one. Yeah, yeah. Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie's films. Yeah, I'm curious if uh, he threw up in that I one. I forgot he was Moriarty because I always associate the bad guy with the guy who looks like the other guy. Yeah, the guy who looks like the other guy. The, but you're talking about from the Sherlock Holmes at BBC show, not the film series with Guy no, Ritchie. No, I'm talking about the film series. The The guy who plays the like witch doctor guy looks just like the guy who plays the casino owner in Ocean's Eleven or whatever. What the heck is his name? Andy? No. Andy Garcia? Andy Garcia. Yeah. I think he looks like Andy Garcia. Okay. We move on. I'm with you. That was a hell of a journey. I'll take it with you. Whenever we end up at Andy Garcia, I'm in. <laughs> but uh, right now, Jared Harris is starring in the Foundation series uh, on Apple TV, which is uh, the long-awaited adaptation of the Asimov series, uh, Isaac Asimov's Foundation. Boiler alert, the book's very boring. Sci-fi groundbreaking, yes. But in 2022, they read a little slow. Maybe at some point we'll talk about Foundation when we uh, talk about Apple TV. So he's English. He was the son of an of the actor Richard Harris. Richard Harris, Nicole, gives one of the greatest lines of all time when he's in Gladiator. Oh, yes. And he, he plays the emperor, and he says at one point, there was a dream that was Rome, so delicate that it could fall to dust just by whispering it. And it's just like, oh, I care about Rome suddenly. And you don't. <laughs> Because, like, they're barbarians and they were murdering people left and right everywhere. But for a brief moment, Richard Harris made you care. He was also Dumbledore. Let's not minimize that. He is okay. He is Dumbledore. Dumbledore. 
The other Dumbledore doesn't exist to me. No offense to that actor whose name I do not know, but Richard Harris is Dumbledore. What about Jude Law? Fine. Fine, fine. You'll take a Jude Law Dumbledore? Wouldn't you? I'm torn on these new ones. I'm torn on the new Harry Potters. Oh, okay. Um, um, well, I'm talking about Jude Law. Oh, no. Jude Law is a person? Yeah, fuck yeah. Yes. I'll dress him okay. up in a beard and let him <laughs> play with my wand. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> fuck yes. Put him in a muumuu. I'll show him my wand. Well, see, the stage of Dumbledore when Jude Law has him, he doesn't wear the muumuus. No, he wears sexy, like, eight-piece suits. Yeah, in the, tw- the 20s. Yeah, it takes a while to get to get all through those suits. That's where they wore them. Jude Law, I think, is required by law to wear at least eight pieces of clothing to protect him from people like me, who just want to undress him as soon as I see him. And play with his wand. <laughs> Show him my wand. <laughs> oh, then we have, of course, w- how can you make a terrible, terrifying real-life story about a big disaster without having the scariest person at working acting right now? <laughs> a Skarsgård. Yar. I think Skarsgård would make awesome pirates, actually, now that I say that. Like, the terrible Skarsgårds. <laughs> Just like a clan? <laughs> a clan, yeah, a pirate clan. <laughs> I love Stellan Skarsgård in this. So he plays Boris, who's like a, a bureaucrat, but he always talks like this, and he always gives bad news, but he's looking for, for these moments of hope. So he always, like, will walk into a room where Jared Harris, as a scientist, is trying to figure shit out. And Stalin's guard guard is Boris is always like, hey, have a drink. We're only going to kill a million people today, not two million. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? How are we celebrating this? I'm sure you've seen his sons around. They're also very popular, terrifying actors. They, they're good at the Let's just say they're good, but they, they are very scary. And he's um, been in Goodwill Hunting. He plays he plays the, the professor that kind of finds um, Matt Damon's character. And kind of uses him. So he's kind of the villain. Oh, surprise, surprise. The villain. Yeah, so he's also in the Avengers. He plays Dr. Salvig. I believe the first time he appeared was in Thor. Oh. But he shows up in a bunch of movies after. With Natalie? With Natalie. Miss Natalie Yeah, Horton. and so yeah. then he's like the bad guy with the, the Arrow Man. Yes, they're both possessed. He and Hawkeye are both possessed that in one. the first Avengers movie. That's yeah. right. By okay. Loki, who now um, you have a crush on. I'm with you now. He tr- <laughs> I don't he tried have to a crush New York. on Loki. I just am obsessed with his character arc. And we will talk about that. I will break this motherfucking chain and we will talk yeah. about Loki, regardless of its streaming platform. Are you trying to convince me? Nicole, I spent most of my high school drawing comic book characters on notebooks. I obsess over Marvel. I will happily <laughs> talk Loki with you any day on this podcast. I don't if know, when man. people are willing to listen to us. Loki is exceptional. Everybody should watch that. I do recommend it. Pros and cons. You got it. We're there. Yeah. He was also a Mamma Mia. He was. So it was him, Pierce Brosnan. And who was our third dad? The third one that, that she slept with in the same weekend. I didn't watch that film. So, OK. So Mamma Mia, while our producer looks up the third person, Mamma Mia is a musical about a woman who slept with three different men in a 48 hour period. No judgment. And then has a daughter. And then some 20 years later, she shows up in Greece and doesn't know which one of them is the father to her daughter. And so a musical ensues, because that's what happens when you're on an episode of, like, Mari Povich, and you're trying to find out who's your baby's daddy. And I don't know who it is, actually. I don't know who the daddy is. And that's okay. So before he reprised his role on Mamma Mia, he spent a lot of time at a wall as Jack Sparrow's father, Bootstrap Bill. Bootstrap Bill Turner. Yes. 
in the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Yeah, yeah that's right. He was like merged with the ship. That's right. Like a piece of coral. Mm-hmm. Which is like that's a rough way to go. How did you get that man to do that? He doesn't need to do things like that. Yeah, they also put Bill Nye under a lot of CGI for that movie to play Davy Jones, and Bill Nye is fantastic. Oh yeah. And so it's a bummer that that he was CGI, but he looked great. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then speaking of looking great, Skarsgård looks way less great in his latest character in Dune. Ooh. He is a very large floating man. Like a yes. disasterly large <laughs> floating man. I don't think they explain why he's a giant floaty man who like oozes from a pool. <laughs> but so, he is. It's disgusting. I saw today that Madeline Albright passed away at 84. And I thought to myself, if I have to do this for another 40 years, I think I'd end up looking like Baron Harkonnen, Stalin Skarsgård in Dune. Like I'd have to emerge from a black pool of waste and float in the air. It's the only way this body's <laughs> going to hold up. And when they try to poison you, you're going to survive just because of your ability to float? Yeah, I'll float to the ceiling and avoid the poison. Who is our, our boy from Dune, Oscar Isaacs? If Oscar uh, Isaacs who is tries boy? to poison me with something in his mouth, I am all in. Yeah, no hesitation. He's got a poison tooth. I'll find it. If hating me and, and sacrificing his life for his family means that he's going to bust open a gas from his tooth, but he has to be close enough to me yeah. for me to smell it. Get close, Oscar. Yeah. Get close. Yeah. Oh, Oscar Isaac, you're welcome on the pod any day, sir. Oh, can we find a way to talk about him more? Yeah. <laughs> is this it? Can we just talk now for the next hour? <laughs> a lot of cast members, but running on our major cast is Emily Watson, who is in. She plays another scientist. She plays an amalgamation of several scientists in this miniseries. She's from Godsford Park, Red Dragon, Syndicate, New York. She's in Kingsman. Um, Godsford Park is one that I keep wanting to watch because apparently it's like a, a serious version of Clue. Hmm. Like a whodunit locked room mystery. And I keep wanting to watch it. And then I just don't because my podcast people make me watch terrible shit like Chernobyl and get me all scared about nuclear war. She's the she's the type of actor for me that is like in everything. She's incredibly noticeable, but in also a kind of sad way. I cannot place her like. Yeah. You know what I mean? But she was great in Chernobyl. She was also in Minority Report where she played one of the psychics. Tom motherfucking Cruise always makes his way. Tom motherfucking Cruise. He's coming back. He's never done. He's never done no, Tom Cruise. Uh, no, I mean, on this podcast, I will be talking about him again. Oh, okay. We're excited about that. I like Tom Cruise. So those are our three main cast members. A lot of other people float in and out throughout the series, but those are our big ones. Notable mention, Corn, Coin, Colm, what the hell is his name? The raspy diplomat guy, Con O'Neill incredibly <laughs> memorable scenes from that guy very important very uh a lot of smoking a lot of smoking a lot of smoking too much smoking too much smoking like they were going to die from lung problems anyway because of the smoking yeah agreed so you might as well just radiate them all yeah i think that's fair kill them all con o'neill yeah he's like a bureaucrat at chernobyl like the boss at the site and he's kind of an asshole well He's always like, yeah, we did what we were supposed to do. I don't know. Yeah, we didn't do anything wrong. Mm. Yeah, we got so. Well, I don't I mean, know why he's suddenly Italian. But he's <laughs> Italian all of a sudden. Um, so that's the main cast of Chernobyl. A lot of other folks float in and out. In the first episode, it's a five-episode miniseries, uh, so very atypical. But in the first episode, we mostly just watch as things go from bad to worse following an incident at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. 
uh, ignoring some framing devices, most of the story takes place in the minutes before and the, the hour or so after the incident. For most of the episode, we're not quite sure exactly what's going wrong, but we know something definitely has. We pick up a few other various characters throughout, and then we watch a bunch of people start melting. The rest of the series then follows the immediate fallout, literally, and the attempt to prevent a global catastrophe while also trying to understand what went wrong in the first place. Uh, so it's kind of like a man's reach exceeding his grasp thing. And I think the interesting thing here is that we do flash back a lot as they discover things. So it's very like investigative throughout the rest of the episodes on like what could have went wrong to do this in the first place. And then we kind of see those scenes as they discover them. So it very much plays kind of like a disaster movie. Now, disaster movies tend to take two approaches. They tend to take the one that Chernobyl takes, which is where they're a little more serious and focused. And then there's the other ones where it's kind of obnoxious, the Roland Emmerich type of things like Moonfall, which is recently out and some of those others. Nicole, what are, do you have any disaster movies that you're particularly attached to? Do aliens invading count as disaster? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Independence Day. Okay. That scared me shitless. Um, very memorable, uh, world ending, long, lots of cars parked in the streets, not going anywhere in one direction. Jeff Goldblum driving very quickly towards the White House in the other direction. Very <laughs> memorable, big disaster, terrifying aliens who just wanted to suck our planet dry. But yeah, I, I'm sure you have something way more um, educational for everyone. So what no, is your no. disaster movie? <laughs> I don't think much more educational, no. My first recognition of like disaster movies was actually Terminator 2 where Sarah Connor has the dream, Linda Hamilton's character has the dream of like LA being nuked and she's on a fence watching like her kid play. And it's so, like she holds on to the fence and a nuclear bomb goes off and manages to not destroy the fence, but rip all the flesh off of her bones. Oh. And so like she's just like a skeleton holding on. And that stuck with me, man. So honestly, as, as memorable as that scene is for you, I can't even picture it. I've seen Terminator 1 and Terminator 2. I have also seen the one with Christian Bale much later. Yeah. But I can't remember. The only thing I remember is the liquefied man. And yeah. that just is because of Alex Mack. Of Alex Mack? Yeah. Nickelodeon, there was the secret, not so secret adventures of Alex Mack, the girl who gets uh, like, she gets crashed into by some sort of chemical truck and then she can turn herself into liquid and go under doors and stuff. Oh, okay. I'm with you. That that sounds right. <laughs> Why are you laughing so many hearts? Uh, it's just, it's a deep cut and we're here for it. Uh, so just cut it guys. As far as, as far as disasters, Nicole, if you had to send a celebrity to save the world from a meteor. Oh, fuck. Which celebrity do you send? Tom Hanks. You said, oh, good answer. Good I answer. I feel like he's a very measured man. And he would have a good, he would at least have a measured approach to saving the world. He wouldn't freak out. He can handle the pressure. Now that you say Tom Hanks, and I agree with all of your reasons there, I think <laughs> if, I think one of the things that I think I find very interesting about Tom Hanks is Apollo 13 is actually very similar to Chernobyl. Oh. Uh, now that you mention that, because it's like this science going bad. That was Not like, planned. oh, a meteor's coming. Not something like this. Yeah, it's like science is going bad. Technology is not working. We need people to be smart to solve this technological problem. So now that you say that, yeah, Tom Hanks is the one I want. And also, could Tom Hanks have saved Chernobyl? 
I wouldn't want to risk Tom Hanks. Yeah. Good answer. That's the weird thing. It's called the Tom Hanks dilemma. It's uh, it's well documented that you want Tom Hanks to be the one to risk his life to save the world because you trust that he would do it. Yes. But also you don't want to risk Tom Hanks. No. But if he doesn't do something to save the world, then we're risking Tom Hanks. Yeah. Schrodinger's Hanks. It's, it's well documented. <laughs> what about you? Who would you send up there? I, Tom Hanks. Yeah. Tom Hanks. 100% now. I'm all in on Tom Hanks. <laughs> Folks, I would like this to go down in the books as the time when David agreed with me. It's a rarity. David, I know that you were very depressed by the show, but what are some of the pros for the show for you? Jared Harris is fucking phenomenal. We talked about him earlier. I love him and everything I see him in. Jared Harris has this great ability in a scene. So some actors are very good at like passionate speeches. Uh, some are good at accents. Some are good at action. Jared Harris does a lot of acting with like his eyes and his mouth where like he's reacting to people, like people giving him bad news, people telling him the next problem. And he shows a lot of emotion just in his face. He also has like the best, like pull my glasses off my face. Cause I'm frustrated. Like he nails that. You nail that too. Yeah. I do it on, <laughs> I do it on zoom calls. It's, it's a great way to see. I'm so frustrated. I don't even want to see in focus. Like that's how angry I am. I have a really interesting take on, on something like Chernobyl because I, I look at it and I'm like, I want to learn about what happened from a historical context, regardless of the story you're telling, right? Regardless of the characters involved, I want to get like, why did the power plant blow up? Why did that happen? And I think one of the things this show does very well is there's other characters like bureaucrats who go, hey, why did this thing blow up? And Jared Harris and others get to explain it to them in like the Michael Scott from The Office explain it to me like I'm five. Lastly, the miners that appear in this series, uh, they come in about midway through. Uh, they do They have a lot of cool scenes. The leader of the miners is is great. Uh, he shows some dong, which is always nice on HBO when we get to see some dong. And, uh, and Nicole's confused. You don't remember his dong? I don't remember. I, the hot dog detector did not go off for this one for me. So it just has a whole bunch of great scenes. And then it's really <laughs> hot in the tunnels. So they all get naked. And uh, that's the way they cool off. Well, in addition to everything David said, I agree. It is a great way to get an education about how the nuclear technology works, what the trade-offs are, you know, as long as the writers don't take too many liberties. And in this case, they did their best to stay true to the facts. I think this is a great way to learn about history, about things that happened. Um, they did a phenomenal job. And, and you know, remember, there are still very many trade-offs when it comes to our accepted energy resources like coal fossil fuels, oil. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this may seem terrifying and scary, but that's not to say that what we're doing now is also not causing terrifying and scary things. Obviously, I thought it was a bit of a bummer, but did you find any cons? Well, you know, I, I don't know if this is a con so much as like a general aggravation with life, but me, a non-scientist, not educated in how a nuclear power plant is run, is very aggravating that nobody listened to anybody. Like, how are people mm, doing things yeah. that are obviously grave mistakes? And they're just like, you know, you went and looked at the nuclear reactor and you saw it. I don't believe you. What do you mean you don't believe them? Yeah. What do you Soviet's mean? going to Soviet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and at least verify it as you're vomiting. You're very beyond poisoned ra radiation poisoning. 
I find I don't I don't know so much as that's a gripe with the show is it's just a gripe with like how did it escalate like this like for whatever had happened how are you not listening to your team I don't know I just found that very aggravating what about you this weird yeah like confidence like yeah and again this is based on on a true story to your plan yeah there's just this like gross confidence that we can't be wrong right like it's just a minor problem that we could fix flip this switch do this yeah I obviously yeah I think that's kind of frustrating. And then you're waiting for those folks to kind of get their comeuppance and you're kind of happy when and if some of those people get poisoned. I, I think for me, it's very bleak and it's, it's kind of like hampered like history, like Zodiac. Mm-hmm. Um, So very bleak life, like life. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like this movie is seasonal depression manifested, manifested, exploded, <laughs> exploded. That's true. Um, I think. It doesn't have many, many ups. It's all downs. There are a few scenes where Boris comes in. He's like, have a drink. We solved a problem. And within like two minutes, Jared Harris will tell you that, no, actually, the, the radiation is leaking through the whatever and more people are going to die. Uh, so even our small victories are bummers. And because you follow a couple different stories during Chernobyl, it may have been better if it was anthologized. Or maybe I could get a win out of one or two of those stories midway through mm-hmm. the season as opposed to yeah. waiting for all five episodes. And just a lot of fucking people die, man. A lot of people and a lot of animals did not like that. A lot of animals died. Yeah, they're not excluded from breathing. There's basically half an episode that's dedicated to killing animals, at, like mercy killing them because they're going to die of radiation. But the characters who handle those scenes handle it very delicately and handle it well. It's it's they're trying to end suffering. The gentlemen who leave that team. It's like, hey, if you shoot an animal, make sure you kill it. I don't want to see any animals suffer. It's excellently done. But it still is what it is, which yeah. is scenes of animals being murdered. Tough. Again, you kind of walk away going, like you said, Nicole, it's a bummer. It's this idiocracy that runs throughout this overconfidence. Um, and I think that's it kind of like tells you like, hey, this is what the Soviet Union was like at this time. This is this is why the Soviet Union fell is they were unable to see their own inadequacies. Yeah. We've mentioned a few disaster films and stuff like that, but what shows are kind of like, what would be the show that we're like, oh, if you like this, you'll probably like Chernobyl. Well, I'm going to give you a little curveball and say Westworld. Okay. Well, yeah, walk me through that one. The way like nuclear power is was big and bold and innovative back then. Um, the Cold War turned it into a moral threat in the same way like now. AI robots are for us now. I mean, okay. you know, you say, you know, thank you to your, maybe you don't, but I say thank you to Alexa. You know, mm-hmm. I'm humanizing and, and using manners with my everyday assistants. So just seeing people navigate these things that are very unchartered, like it's the Wild West, pun not intended. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a lot of parallel there for me for Westworld and trying to integrate and understanding what robot rights are to navigating a new technology, trying to be cleaner in our energy resources and consumption. Um, and then how we deal with when the robots smarten up and figure out what's yeah. going on and, you know, when things go wrong and how we handle it. So I think there's a lot of parallels there. What are some things that you find are similar to Chernobyl? So I'll say this. I was just thinking about this now that you've you've said this, and I hadn't made the Westworld connection and sort of that technology getting out of hand until you just said it. But following that link, right? So Michael Crichton uh, directed the original Westworld, upon which the series is based. Uh, he's famous for writing technology goes wrong stories. 
There are elements of this that remind me now of Jurassic Park oh. in terms of, like you said, with Westworld, same with Chernobyl. We're trying to harness something here that maybe we shouldn't. And uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum, you had mentioned earlier in, in Independence Day, one of his famous lines in Jurassic Park as Ian Malcolm is you were so focused on whether or not you could do something. You never stopped to think if you should. You should. And so nuclear power, especially at this stage, especially post nuclear race may have been very similar, that everyone was mm -hmm. able to create nuclear power, that they were like, oh, we could build up this giant, we could build up factories, we could build up weapons, and no one stopped to think if they should right. actually build up all of these weapons and all these nuclear power plants. And I think there are elements of Chernobyl and Jurassic Park where, you know, in Jurassic Park, they spared no expense, and things still went wrong, and you spend the most of the movie trying to figure out what went wrong, how do we put the dinosaur back in the cage? <laughs> Pandora back in the box. And the same with Chernobyl, yeah. where they absolutely spared every expense. And they cut in on training, they cut in on knowledge sharing, they cut in on money. And then, of course, it went wrong. And then it's how do we put the, you know, the graphite back in the reactor? And yes, yeah, so now that you say that, I think this technology out of hand, this is a very, you know, 80s based version of that. But I see a lot of the parallels, I think, in terms of that time in Europe, especially in Russia, I think the Americans on FX uh, has Kerry Russell and Matthew Rees. I think that's probably that fits that mold really well for me. The recent Black Widow movie had some of that very early in the beginning, probably more characterized than than was real. But I think the Americans does it pretty good of this sort of we're stealing tech and sending it back to Mother Russia. Also, you get to see Kerry Russell's butt a lot in the Americans. And, you know, if you get to see Felicity's butt and deal with Soviet spies, why wouldn't you watch that show? <laughs> well, so should should our listeners watch it, David? Kerry Russell's butt in the Americans? Absolutely. Should our listeners watch <laughs> Chernobyl, David? Okay, so this might be controversial, Nicole. I'm going to say no. Mm. I don't think they should. But, 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 Yuck. but, lots of buts here. Uh, not Kerry Russell's. Um, lots of buts. It's <laughs> not because it's not good. It's very well written. It's very well directed. It's very well acted. I think it's very educational. I think you learn a lot. I think you'll be compelled throughout. And I think it's a story that maybe you need to know. Yeah. But I I didn't find it entertaining because it was such a fucking bummer. This is one of those shows that I look at and I go, oh, it's probably great, but I don't want to watch it. Yeah. Because I'm afraid of the state it'll put me in. And this definitely had that, I think... The final episode of the series, episode five, as you'd expect in a miniseries, uh, kind of wraps up what they discovered, right? Again, there's a bit of a detective aspect to the story of what happened, what went wrong, why did it go wrong? Uh, who's episode to blame? five. Yeah, who's to blame? Uh, it's the who done it, right? Who done blew up the nuclear factory? Yeah. Episode five does a good job of pulling that together. I would say that if you're averse to a lot of death and depression and you're a little nervous about watching the show, maybe skip right to episode five. Hmm. and sort of find out what happened without watching everyone die along the way. Right. And I, I say this only because especially I, I have less of a trigger to watching people die in shows. I've been desensitized. But watching animals get hurt yeah. is something I don't really do well with in TV shows. So I mentioned earlier there's about half an episode where they deal with, with you know euthanizing animals. It's a tough episode to get through. And I watched it with my wife, and we literally had to put scenes on mute and fast forward. Um, one scene in particular... I was like, I don't know if I want to watch the show anymore. And I actually asked our producer, is there any more of that? Because if there is, I'm not going to episode four and five. Yeah. So is it an excellent miniseries? Yes. Is it well-directed, well-acted? Yes. 
if you're the type of person that can handle a bummer show mm-hmm. and appreciate it for all the things that it is very well done at, and maybe you should learn about, I would highly encourage it. But in general, for viewers like me who may get triggered by a lot of animal death or a lot of bummer material, I, I don't know if I'd recommend it to people. W- what about you? You and I have slightly different tastes here on this one. Well, I mean, I have to agree. I mem- remember Big Little Lies, um, The Night Of. Those are very uh, tough watches for me. And uh, I think in, even in The Night Of, I said, or one of the episodes, I said, you know, watch this if you're cool with all of that stuff. So I don't think that your caveats are wrong. Mm-hmm. I do recommend it. And I have recommended the show. I think it's very important that we understand this. And like I said to you, the education that it provides and it entertaining well-written, very close to the facts way. I think that it, everybody should know it, especially if you live near a nuclear plant. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as we move as a, hopefully as a civilization towards cleaner energy, this is going to become an even more prominent energy source. And I think that understanding the good and the bad is important. Yeah, it's a good point. Understanding what these people went through is important. It's important to the Ukrainian history. It's important to the Russian history. I wish that Russians could get exposed to non-brainwashed material and understand what their government is doing to them and most importantly to the Ukrainians right now. So I just I just think that as much as you can find ways to educate yourself on these really important topics and subjects that are going to play a huge role in our our near future or not going to play a role in our near future and we're all going to burn up and die. This is a great way to uh, get that kind of information kind of served to you instead of having to read books and whatever. And and so, yes, I recommend it. I think that it's smart. Um, The acting is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to watch, but, you know, it's real. Nicole and I's takeaway here, folks, is great show. Be sure you can stomach it. Yeah. So it's a yes from Nicole. It's a uh, from me. (laughs) I think that's fine. On our scale, it's a meh Thank you, everybody, for talking uh, Chernobyl with us. Uh, We had a great time. Uh, We will be back next week to discuss Silicon Valley. Is this the area between boobs? The air, yes, in Los Angeles for women. The area between boobs is called Silicon Valley. It's where you can motorboat. Or, as we call it now, pulling a Nixon. Oh, Jesus Christ. Thank you, audience. Check out our Twitter feed at It's Not TV for further details about our podcast and to connect with our community. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. A very special thank you to our producer, Matt Malone. It's Not TV is a production of Bruit Media. Mm-hmm.